Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, 1,760 yards in a mile, 39.9 inches in a meter. So if she weighs as much as a duck, she's made of wood. <laughs> you guys are really trying to make my head explode, right? I mean, this, this is the goal here. This is what we're doing. Yeah, talking about math. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 126 of the More Than Just Code podcast. This week, I'm joined by Tammy Coron in Tennessee. Hey there. I'm also joined by... Greg Hio, replacing Jaime Lopez. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. And I'm in like San Francisco, California. You, Greg. you didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. It's true. That's because you're Where everywhere you, always. That's true. Omnipresent. Yeah. Greg, are you driving your car at home? Always. <laughs> always. <laughs> okay. Without a license, even. Oh, yeah. That's right. Ooh. So how is the driving situation down there? Still not driving? For me, no. Not driving. No. Not driving. Probably better off. The traffic is just ridiculously bad these days. That's true. And the robot cars mm. will be here soon enough. So I'm just going to wait it yep. out. Yep. yep. You know, that's right, a really good right. segue. How's that? Tesla and all and robot cars. And oh, such. yeah. But that, yeah, but that's, that's later, man. We do the. Wasted you segue. first, Tammy. I'm sorry, Tammy. You know, if it were up to me, Tammy, we, <laughs> it would be chaos. Wasted segue. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who, who is this Greg Heo person? You're always trying to keep us on, on, on the straight and narrow and keep us brief and short and stuff. But, well, you know what, Tim? This show is actually three different shows because there's like follow-up mm. show and then there's like an Ask yeah. MTJC show. And then yes. there's also like the topics that we talk about. And that's a separate thing, right? But sure. then, yeah. surprise, the curtain opens, Tim. It's actually one show, more than just code. See? <laughs> that was tricky. That was tricky, because I was like, oh, I forgot the picks. Damn, picks. I should have taken out the Ask MTJ. And, and there, was, there was some math oh. there, too, right? Three shows and one show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Timmy. Yeah. One plus one you plus one is equal to one. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I figured right, I, so... I know we, we would 
call the topics down, so I wasn't saying. Okay, so talk about all so since stuff. I've lost, since I've lost total control of the show already, why don't we? Oh, does anybody have any picks today? I could come up with three. Let's start off with the fault. Hmm? I could come up with three. <laughs> well, we're not having the pick Picopolis anymore. Jaime's not here too, so it's no fun. Well, it's always fun when you do it when he's not here. That's the best part. Then he <laughs> feels like he has to. I one up you next week, right? All right, six picks. I'm going to come up with them right now. <sighs> Okay, cool. So let's do some FU. Um, learning how to learn. Uh, yeah, I saw this the other day as a Coursera, since Mark was talking about, you know, um, stretching our minds and getting us to learn machine learning and all those kind of uh, things. And I found, I haven't actually gone through it yet, but I just saw a, um, found a course on Coursera on learning how to learn some powerful mental tools to help you master tough subjects. And this came through Jesse Catterwall, a uh, friend of the show, and uh, recommended that. So I put it on a list of something that I'd be interested in and seeing if there's something in there. Because we were always, you know, as developers, we're always trying to learn new things. And there's always new technologies and new concepts to, to try and cram into our brains and grok, as we like to say, right? So that's uh, something I thought was interesting. Looks like it's a relatively short one, too. It's just uh, a few hours of videos and exercises. So that's probably pretty accessible to people sure sure then then you can get into the machine learning for sure that's right yeah those tend to be a lot longer those courses <laughs> right oh wait a minute i take that back it's the the three hours or so is per week it looks like so it is oh. actually it's, it's four weeks uh at around three hours of video three hours of exercises and three hours of bonus material per week so that that's a uh, that's good Anytime somebody wants to trade me some magic beans for my cow, I'm totally in. I'm there. Give me some hints on how to learn stuff better-ish, and I'll I'll be there. Anyway, I put on here show notes here about a story about the MacBook Pro at the Fort Lauderdale shooting. Apparently, one of the persons that was in the baggage area had his MacBook Pro in his backpack, and he didn't realize until he went to unpack the Mac that it had taken a bullet for him, literally. So he uh, was able to save himself from you know harm by having the MacBook in his backpack. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd recommend that as a, as the, uh, the best approach to protecting yourself, but, uh, but it worked in his case. So yeah. that's great. So Greg, you have some follow-up here on, on the, my comment about last week's about the, where Apple products are made or iPhones specifically, specifically is what I talked about, but yeah, I think it was us? about iPhones being made in India to, um, serve some regulatory, or not regulatory, but to better cell phones in India, they were saying you have to assemble them here as well. And I know there's a lot of talk about bringing manufacturing jobs back to the United States and things like that. And so I think the Mac Pro was notable for being assembled here yep. stateside, which was kind of exciting. And there was a story on 95Mac about Apple seeking clearance to make more products here in the United States. But then the example they gave was something uninspiring like uh it was data server cabinets it turns out and so uh, hmm. that's what they want to make so it's not quite computers but it's still computer related and so it's just another interesting bit about apple moving manufacturing to different plate they're being open to moving manufacturing around to wherever it's most efficient wherever it's most you know beneficial for the company and things like that so it's just one more thing being made here and just showing kind of the reach that apple has and also i think the options that they have of where to make things that's it okay <laughs> mark are you still on yeah, those unlimited so plans i do you know so i 
first got my iPhone on AT and T years and years ago. I mean, it's probably two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and and back then they were AT and T was offering an, a great unlimited data plan, uh, and in fact, it was it was the only thing available back then. Uh, that was when iPhones were only on AT and T. But times have changed, and they, and they phased those out. And uh, I still have my plan grandfathered from way back then, uh, but it, it seems like they're trying pretty hard to get to get uh, me and anyone else who's still using it to to move on. Unfortunately, because they're they're now raising the price for the unlimited plan for the second time in in about a year and a half. Uh, it's now about forty bucks a month just for the for the data plan, uh, and it's still available, but but they're making it more and more painful to do it. So. I hate to see that because you know it seems like they're in some sense penalizing long-term customers, long-term users. Yeah. But uh, I guess uh, I guess time moves on, and I guess we'll have to have to do something different soon. Well, do they still? They were at one time blocking you from tethering. Do you, are you still? Are you yeah, able to tether? Yeah, you're right. I still can't tether. I still can't tether. That's another. That's another reason. Mm. So yeah, they they really are making it kind of uh, uh, un. You know, uh, unpleasant to use at this point. Un- unpleasant to have that plan. They really want us to move on. So I, I guess I'm going to have to pretty soon. It's unfortunate, though. Yeah, I had a. I used to have the six gig uh, plan with Rogers because um, I, you know, and I've had that since since I had my first iPhone as well, or very very soon after the I think first iPhone three G or three. I think was the first one we had in Canada. But we've always been able to tether. But when I went to consolidate my plan at the beginning of last year. Um, to get a better rate because I wasn't using my phone as much since I was going to work for the man every day. Um, they dropped both my Carol and my plan down to four gigs. So t- together we share four gigs where we used to be share. We used to have 11. She had five and I had six. Mm. Right. So, so that's been real painful because yeah. every, every month now I'm getting a, a, you know, a little extra tacked onto my bill. So, oh, so you're yeah, actually, right you're going over the four then. Oh, easily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. just, just, just being downtown and cause when I, when I'm at the office, you know, you, you we have a, a, a Wi-Fi system that you have to log into and, um, the phone regularly falls off it. Cause as you're walking around the, the building, you know, you fall off the network and then the next thing you know, you don't realize it, but you're back on LTE using up data. Right. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it adds up and especially, if, you know, I was traveling last month and that was going to be pretty painful when I get that bill, but oh well. Yep. Yeah, but you're right. It's, I I often feel like they always do the deals for the new new people coming onto the plans, as opposed to those of us who've been loyal to them the whole time, right? Right. It's true. It's true. true. Getting new customers is always more valuable, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's especially painful now because uh, it's hard to switch to a different network because of the different devices between, say, for example, AT and T and Verizon. There's actually two physically different phones now. You can't just swap out a SIM card, at least here in the US. So. I'm a little bit stuck. There's uh, there's other options. I, uh, I'm not sure exactly which carrier is is on the same. T-Mobile. I think uh, T-Mobile. Yeah, probably is. Yeah, yeah. So there's other options, but it's still it's not as flexible as as it would uh, as it could be, or it would be nice if it were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. Well, speaking of long-term iPhone customers, how long has the iPhone been out, Tim? Well, actually, before we go there, I wanted I wanted to ask Tammy if. Um, if she's got her tinfoil hat handy. Tim is a Segway killer tonight. Do you see that? Craig? I know. He's yeah, a Segway killer. I just killed that other Segway. 
I always have my tinfoil hat. I always have my tinfoil hat. Okay, so well, we want we want to sort of. This is kind of sort of. It could have been my pick, but you know, Mark and I were talking about this earlier today. I told him he should listen to the last episode of Roundabout Creative Chaos when we had Ryan McCloud on, uh, the creator of Black Box, which we've talked about a number of times on this show. So hey, shout out to friend of the show Ryan McCloud. Um, Mark, you got some math for us, I think. <laughs> well, that was kind of meant as a, a little bit as a joke, but uh, but if you want to put it to the show notes, sure. There was some sure. discussion on on how many stars. Say you have a one star, uh, just some random you know, poor rating uh, that, of course, didn't deserve, but somebody misunderstood the system, puts it in, that puts it in with one star or whatever. So the question was, how many five stars does it take to overcome that uh, to get your your rating back up to what looks like you know, round it up to a to a five star review. Uh, so it's 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 very simple math. Um, and, simple uh, math. <laughs> <laughs> come on, it's pretty easy, Tim. Uh, so I won't walk I won't walk through it uh, because oh, Tammy will fall asleep. Okay. But uh, we can put that into the show notes if anyone's interested. Uh, the the uh, cut to the chase. What's the TLDR? The, TLDR. The TLDR. Yeah. There you go. Uh, if you, if you have X, so if you have the the, the number of five stars that you need uh, to get a certain average value, assuming that you have one one star, is that average value minus one, all divided by five minus that average value. So if you want to get back to a 4.75 after that one star, you need to get 15 five stars. If you just want to get back to a 4.5, you need seven five stars. So if you have 24,000 five-star ratings like Ryan McLeod has, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about it because 24,000 minus 1 divided by uh, 5 minus whatever is, you know. Yeah, anyway, you plug it in and uh, you don't have to worry about it. And as the true mathematician, Mark wrote it out in a solving for X fashion. And I wrote it Mm -hmm. a little bit more like a story as a former tutorial writer. uh, And I let other people write it out. (laughs) (laughs) So, so to, apologi- just, we- just to clarify, 4.5 will get you 4.5, like four stars and a half star, but you need 4.75 to look like five stars. Is that how it works? I believe so, yes. Okay. Yes, I believe they're – and, of course, Apple doesn't publish this information, but just from my experience, what it, it looks like the stars are split up into quarter star uh, uh, divisions. Well, so no, hang you, on a if, second. Mm-hmm. If an app is traveling on a train going 60 miles per hour and right. it gets a five-star review, yep, how yep. long does it take before it gets to California? Depends how fast it's going because you have to take Einsteinian relativity into account. Gotcha. And okay. I have purple and the, and the curvature Excellent. of the Earth. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And the curvature yep. of space-time, no less. That's right. That's, That's true. true. You guys That's are true. driving me up a wall tonight with yeah. your math. But, well, but the best people, answer is, is one unit of time to get from there to here. Okay. So I have to apologize to Dave, who made a comment on episode 98 about the um, high-tech talk that you guys had when uh, Aaron and I weren't on the show, and it was Greg and, and Jaime and Mark, and you just went all over the place, and he was... Was that the really gentleman in England to, cutting his lawn? Yeah, uh, he was trying to mow his okay. lawn, and, and uh, he was he was upset, and he said he hope get, hope he get back to the, uh, <laughs> the regular banter that we have on this show. Well, I'm on the show now, so the level of tech should kind of mellow out, right? It should, it should. So I have a question for you. Where were you in January of 2007? Are you asking me? I'm asking anybody. I know where I was. I know where I was. I think I know where I was. I'm thinking about it, where so you? you guys go first. Well, I was actually at Macworld um, 
at the not at, not in the keynote itself, but I think in a satellite room or something like that, um, when Steve Jobs made the big announcement about the iPhone. We knew it was coming, but I mean, to be honest with you, being the skeptic that I am, I had no idea what he was going to be talking about. So, how about you guys? I was still working in the semiconductor business back then, and I remember when it came out, a bunch of us sitting around at lunch saying, "What? what's the big deal about this Apple phone yeah, thing? Who cares, exactly, who yeah. cares about this? Yeah, um, it wasn't until about a year and a half later that I decided to make the plunge and essentially change careers, getting out of the semiconductor business and getting into the into the app development business. And uh, so, yeah, I have to say it was pretty big impact on, on my life. Uh, the fact that the iPhone came out, so I pretty much changed careers completely. Yeah. How about you, Tammy? I think it it's definitely changed and had an impact on my life for the same reason that you just said. It's like, you know, you're going along and you're doing whatever it is you're doing. And then all of a sudden they have this new device that you can play with. And that you can build apps for, and that you can, you can get out there and have your your stuff that you create in the hands, literally in the hands of all these other people. So, for me, it has allowed me to do things that I never thought I would be able to do, and that's develop really cool things. Great, uh, Tammy very cleverly sidestepped the question of where she was, though. So. I don't know. <laughs> I'll just bring it up again and say, so Tammy, do you remember what you were doing and where you were at that time? I was probably, I actually don't remember entirely. Um, gosh, where was I? I don't know. I know I should be like really uh, have this amazing story that I, I was sitting there kind of like when, when I was watching some guy land on the moon. This was a big event like that. It it really wasn't for me. I'll be honest with you. Back then, I really couldn't care less about the phone. It wasn't until you could develop for it that I became really into it. Yeah, I probably have a similar story. I went back to my emails just to see because, you know, I keep all my email from like whatever, 10 years ago. And That's true, yeah. yeah, I was uh, maybe two to two and a half, two to three years into being a freelancer and I was doing web work at the time. So I was writing Perl and PHP, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, that's what I was doing. I had a flip phone probably and the phone was announced. It wasn't available in Canada. So I was like, whatever. Uh, I had a Mac mm -hmm. then. So yeah. I was probably like tangentially interested. Like, oh, this sounds interesting. A phone from Apple. I do remember like, yes, it, it had been rumored for a really long time. But uh, I don't remember being like, oh, my God, I have to drive across the border and get it, as I think Tim may have done. Or maybe he did that for the iPad. But <laughs> I don't remember anything like that. I was busy writing my Perl back in those days. So, yeah, that's where I was. Yeah, I was uh, doing web development at the time. And, and I, was still, I was still in the reseller phase of my life. And um, so that's why I was at Macworld. And, you know, I was always interested in what Apple would introduce. And, and to be honest with you, like Mark, I was sort of skeptical about the phone. But. In the next year when the SDK came out, um, I, I downloaded it. But I really didn't get going on, on uh, iOS development until the iPad came along, as Greg said. But I do remember standing in, in the locker room after a hockey game, and, and one of the guys I was playing hockey with worked for Rogers and said he was going down to San Francisco and did I want a phone. I'm like, yes. You know, so I, I got a, an iPhone uh, and unlocked it early um, mm. in the process. But, and for me, the, I mean, I can even go back to the Mac uh, and say that, you know, the Mac itself was very disruptive in my life in terms of where I am today and what I'm doing because I went from being, you know, an analog traditional artist to a computer artist to, you know, selling computers to 
being a tech IT guy, that's the name of my website, and doing IT for people. And then coming full circle back to the development thing and being creative in the iPhone world. And that's so, so the iPhone has been, for me, again, I changed my career. It's a bit of, uh, I was trying to think of the word earlier today. It's a, it's a two-sided, two-headed beast for me because on one side, I'm doing work I really, really love. But on the other side, I sometimes I'm struggling to make a living at it, right? So, which is, again, one of the reasons why I started this podcast, so we could sort of share ideas and stuff like that. That's me in the in the iPhone itself. I asked on Twitter a couple of um, people to send us some audio clips, and I'll play some of those in a few minutes. Um, but uh, Kim Alberg replied on on Twitter, a friend of the show, um, said that he iPhone made him move across the Atlantic so he could develop iOS software full time. I assume he's moving, so he moved to to the United States as opposed to away from it. Justin Stanley also replied that. Uh, um, he's gone through eight of the iPhone sixes alone, but he would still never go to Android. iPhone is perfect, perfect, perfect personal tool for him, uh, for the most seamless interconnected software and delightful interactions. And I know Justin just recently got his first iOS job, uh, iOS developer job recently. So that's some of the feedback we got from our fans of the show. And for those of you who didn't send us anything, you're not going to have as much fun as the people who did. Hi, this is Aaron Douglas, and I work on the WordPress for iOS app. The iPhone changed my entire career going from a faceless enterprise Java engineer to working on software that integrates into people's daily lives. Um, knowing that your app is something that a person uses like first thing in the morning and the last thing they use at night is really awesome. I like knowing that I've actually made a real difference in uh, real people's lives uh, by the efforts in me typing code into a keyboard. This isn't an iPhone story, it's about the iPod Touch. My son has cerebral palsy, and it affects his vision and his ability to walk and use his hands and that sort of thing. He can use a Mac with a mouse and a keyboard, but it's a bit harder for him. When he was about 11, uh, that's when the iPhone came out. We'd only heard about it, none of us had actually seen a live one. When the iPod Touch came out uh, that fall, we walked up to our local Apple retailer to take a look. We all got to play with it in the store, and we were swiping the photos and playing music and enjoying the whole new amazing interface. We couldn't afford it right away, uh, but we headed home happy, all of us, and convinced that we'd seen the future. Our son fully understood that we had not purchased it, and that when we did, eventually, it would become a, you know, be a family purchase for everyone to use. So that night, as he's heading up to bed, and he's going up the stairs as he does, backwards up, step by step on his rear end, he suddenly stops in the middle of the staircase and starts to make broad, sideways swiping motions with his hand and arm, and exclaims, I do this to look at the photos on my iPod Touch. All it took was one brief encounter with that whole natural-feeling operating system, and he had completely bonded to it. Of course, he has his own iPad now. Hey there, this is Jaime, joining you from a remote, undisclosed location. Um... Thinking about the 10 years of the iPhone and what it really means to me, I think the things that come to mind are are really twofold. The first is, you know, it's really meant opportunity for me. Um, the past several years, I've had, you know, jobs related to doing iOS development that quite simply would not have existed, you know, several years ago and 10 years ago uh, without the iPhone's introduction. I'd certainly be doing something completely different right now. I don't know, maybe web development, I might still be doing that. But 
certainly not mobile development, that's for sure. And I think the other thing that comes to mind is uh, connectedness. Um, it's so much easier to be connected with family and friends, even though I don't live in the same city, I don't live in the same state, I don't live in the same part of the country as they do. And yet, uh, they're always there, uh, like right at your fingertips, right? And I think it's also broadened the scope of what that means, uh, particularly for friends, where, you know, I can be instantly connected with people all the way across the world. And I do have acquaintances and friends who, quite frankly, I've never actually met in person. And sure, that was possible before with, uh, you know... The, just having the World Wide Web, that's certainly helped open the world up a lot. But it, it's not the same as having it there, right? Like this personal device that you always have with you. I think it just brings people close together, and it's it's certainly done that for me. So that's, I think, what the iPhone has meant to me. Hey, it's George Strombolopoulos here, and uh, here's what the iPhone has meant to me. Uh, never mind texting and calling and who does that anyway the iphone is really a smaller lovelier prettier version of the ipod and the ipod is the single most important invention in my musical life so the fact that i can take my music with me everywhere i want to go that is that that means more to me than anything what's the iphone meant to me it's meant that i've got hundreds of pictures of my kids i'd never have taken otherwise it's meant that my kids have seen their grandparents every week, despite the fact we live hundreds of miles away. It's made me want to build things that could run on it. It's allowed me to learn how to build things that run on it. It's connected me with a worldwide community of people that want to do the same. It's given me an interesting and fulfilling career. And it's made me keep my change in the other pocket. So, Tim, did you get the uh, the very first the iPhone 1, or did you get yeah, the iPhone I still have 2? It. Or, yeah. Yeah, I have, I have the silverback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was there an iPhone two? The three G yeah. was the iPhone two. Oh, the three G, three, the iPhone three, right? The three G. Okay, because I don't know why that would there be wasn't two, an though, intermediate right? one. I thought there was one in between. Yeah, there, I thought there was an iPhone three because I think yeah. that was the first one in Canada officially. I don't think there See, was. Now it's all the, coming back to me. You want me to go upstairs and get my boxes? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I, I had the silverback. I think I paid $500 or some ridiculous amount of money for it. Because, um, like I said, a friend went down to San Francisco and bought brought up a couple. Um, and we had to get, like, a, we had to, we had this Trello. Do you remember the Trello phone? I think it was a Palm Pilot, right? It was it was a relatively smart phone. Um, we had to tell Rogers we had a Trello phone and just, you know, and activate it as a Trello phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, I'm looking at Wikipedia, <laughs> and no there, there was that price drop. Remember, like, how soon was it when they announced the phone that they dropped the price? I don't remember. But first gen, June 2007, and then the next phone, the next model was the 3G in July 2008. Oh, so was it? Oh, yeah, 3G right. was the wow. second phone. Yep. That's yep. one I had, so I, I remember. I had that one, too. Yeah, so, yeah, the first one was Edge. Yeah, I guess 3G meant three, third generation, right? Yeah, like the network 3G. Not, model. Not, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the 3G network is what they meant. And that's right. It was... It was uh, a minor controversy back then that it it was it wasn't the it, it, nobody knew whether it was going to be what, what it was going to be called uh, because it was on a three G network even though it was only the second one and mm-hmm. so people didn't know uh, what the name was going to be so when it, yeah anyway so it was three G because of the network yeah 
Right. So there was no such thing as the iPhone 2. They went right from sort of first gen to 3G, 3GS, and then they went with the 4, 4S, 5, and 6, and all the numbers that right. we know and love up, to, up until today. So there was no 2 officially. Yeah. There was no 2. Yeah, I didn't get my first iPhone for my personal use until the iPhone 5. And, and you know, I, I may not remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when they made the first announcement of the iPhone, but I do remember when I made the switch from Android to iPhone. And um, that's when the iPhone 5 came out. And I had programmed prior to that for iOS stuff. And uh, at the time it was called the iPhone, not iOS. And I was always using the 4 and the, and I think maybe the 4S and, and you know, going on my Android during the day, using my Android for the personal stuff and then programming for the four, I was like, God, I don't, I just, I don't really like this. And then I had an opportunity to use a five and my Android was getting slow and I was getting tired of using it. And I'm thinking, I I don't like the four. I don't like the four. I don't want it. And then when I held the five, it was that extra screen room that Mm -hmm. made me make that switch from Android to iPhone. Now, I don't want to program for the Android. I never really liked it. And I loved programming for the iPhone, but I enjoyed using the Android as a personal phone until that iPhone 5 came out. And that's that's when it really changed my life from a personal standpoint, not from a professional standpoint, because again, I was already programming for it. Being able to just not have to worry about who am I installing an app from, which is something you'd have to worry about with Android, not worrying about how secure my data was, which I realized that not data is not that <laughs> secure anyway, but I'm just saying in general, you know, it, you have this little, there's, there's more of a sense of security using something that's self-contained. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to imagine using an iPhone four size device these days. They're so small when you go back and look at them. Uh, I don't, they, my memory of them when it was the everyday phone wasn't wasn't that it was that small, if you know what I mean. It, it, it seemed like a good size back then, but when in hindsight now, going from the four to the five, and then even even higher up that we have now, it's just a huge improvement. Yeah, I still have a three G that I use upstairs and uh, for just checking the web and the weather and things like that. And Greg, you sent me a screenshot of yours. You, you still have one too, right? I had to find it and dig it up. It was still in the moving. Bo- it was still in the moving bo- <laughs> moving charge, as are many things around here. But yeah, I do still have yeah. it with me. Oh, actually, I have one of my. I, I still have one too. Yeah, I actually have all my old iPhones. It's kind of an interesting progression. I remember when we, I went from the three G to the four. Uh, the Going to the Retina display and and having the faster chip and the, and the higher memory was a was a huge deal back then. Yeah, because the three three G. I went from three G to four as well, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The three G was really uh, even for its time was kind of an underpowered device. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, but the four made up for a lot of that. Yeah, I think the three GS was the first like, oh yes, I can see what this is. I can use this now. Yep. I, I didn't have one yep. though, yep. but I jumped right to the four. And I think Mark, like that was like the iPhone one you can consider. This is, that is, I feel yeah, like what they yeah. wanted to make. It was mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. square, not that rounded thing. It was just not square, but you know what I mean? Um, yep. Tighter yep. corners yep. and it was retina and I'm like, it, it was fast. And yeah, I think that was, that's really where yeah. I thought, yes, yep. yes, I see the future yeah. now. This is it. Mm-hmm. And a yeah, little I bit remember, of real-time, I remember real-time follow-up. Tim was talking about the, yeah, the Treo, not the Trello, which is the company. I know what you meant, Tim, but yeah. uh, just in case. I have Trello on the brain. We may, we may yeah. talk about that in a while. <laughs> I know what you were but, talking about. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, the Palm Trio. 
I think, uh, Greg, you posted this, or who posted this? Maybe I posted this about uh, Phil Schiller's interview about the early days of I think I posted um, the iPhone development. But so, yeah. Well, the Apple execs went on a, a PR spree, as they usually do around these times, and so there are a couple of interviews. One I have is from Phil Schiller and talking about Apple launch and what's coming, or not what's coming up, but you know how Apple is still great, that kind of thing. Uh, the usual thing that executives talk about in these interviews at these times, like the 10th anniversary. So there are a few of them floating around, and uh, it's always interesting to, to read. But we kind of, kind of touched on it in a bit in that um, they really didn't know how this was going to get impacted by people actually starting to use uh, the phones and use them on networks. And um, Phil talks about how the original iPhone, um, they only they wanted to basically build the apps and put them on there and not open it up to developers. Mm-hmm. They were concerned about a single app taking down the whole eastern seaboard or, uh, you know, taking down the AT&T network. And so they that's why they – and I think they originally decided – and, and give us that web web tool it was called dash code or something like that for creating web views for yeah the sweet solution right? right right yeah yeah and i think it was probably six months and maybe the guy who who runs Cydia was one of the people who jonathan something or other um who came up with a way of of jailbreaking the phones and then finding out that they were in fact running mac os or, or sorry a version of um similar to mac os that had you know a root user and um, soon people were developing apps for the for the phones anyway, so and not taking down the Eastern Seaboard at the same time. Yeah, I think that's the interesting part of these is the story of how the phone launched in, like you said, Tim, like in a, with a certain way of working on it. It's like these are the apps that are going to be pre-installed. Everything else goes on the web, and we're going to control it. And now it slowly cracked open, and then sort of went wide open. But now it's like that's the whole appeal of the phone is all of the apps that you can get. So I think that's a really interesting progression of how that went. Does that segue into our next couple of topics about the iPhone? <laughs> they since have the you iPhone want them or to. the Segway killer. <laughs> well, speaking of how successful it's been, Mark, what do you have to say about iPhone market share? Yeah, so contrary to some reports lately about iPhone sales going down, and, and they may be true, but... but uh, there's a little bit of encouraging data that, that just came out from a company called Cantar, uh, which I guess is a, a, an analyst, uh, that actually is showing that market share for the iPhone has increased by quite a bit in, in a lot of places. Uh, the, US, the U.S., for example, went from the November 2015 market share was roughly 60% Android, 37% iOS, to November 16, 2016, it, it went to 55% Android and 43% iOS. So iOS gained about six points in, in market share, at the mostly at the expense of Android, a little bit at the expense of maybe Windows as well. Uh, and uh, in in Great Britain, it's even more dramatic. It went from 51% Android and 39% iOS to 49.6% Android and 48.3% iOS. So iOS is almost caught up to Android in, in Great Britain, which is great. Uh, it's not mm. like that everywhere. Um, China, it looks like iOS lost about five points of market share. Germany lost about three points of market share. So it's not, it's not everywhere. But Australia went up by almost six points. Uh, France went up by a little over six points. So so it's pretty encouraging. So even though maybe the overall numbers are going down a little bit, that might just be a reflection of the, the overall market as opposed to iOS. So if it, it, it looks like iOS is actually gaining popularity. 
which is it almost seems like the the split between the kind of quote-unquote developing world and the developed world which is i don't know not really a thing but you know what i mean the the split between north america western europe and i guess china is the only example here isn't it well There's germany no germany too uh germany's yeah the one the one outlier everyone yeah. else though yeah. like all european yeah. countries australia no canada it's united true. states japan i always seems to be up everywhere so i'm just curious about what it's looking like uh well china's here I, I don't know brazil russia india indonesia like other countries with really really large populations that are getting more on uh getting more mobile service and where mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. moving but it feels like the split between in the world between the geographical split between android and ios seems to be kind of deepening in that sense where ios yeah, is getting stronger yeah. over here and android is getting yeah. stronger over there it looks like well, that makes the the point we made about India a couple of months ago even more interesting. That if mm. if they are now going to start encouraging iOS use in, in India because they're doing a lot of the manufacturing there, or will be doing more of the manufacturing there, then iOS ought to have a big upturn there in market share. Hmm. So that'll it'll be good to come back in November two thousand seventeen and see where we are. So do you think that's based on the the iPhone seven and maybe the better camera on this on the seven plus or? What do you think it is? It's a good question. Uh, it, it could that could be partly it, but these numbers are from November 16, 2016, and and mm. uh, that wasn't too far into the existence of the the newer phones, right? So so this is probably most of 2016. It might have to do with some of the issues that Samsung has had with with their phones. Uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to say though. It's hard to say. Mm, that's true. Yeah, I keep yeah. thinking about that. Well, yeah. I just saw a story that the they have the galaxy note seven is still banned on flights, but they don't have to keep announcing yeah. it now, although they're still banned. Mm. So I, I don't know. Every time you fly, you hear at the gates and you hear in the airport and then you hear on board, yeah. but they can apparently stop doing that now. Mm -hmm. Is that because they're, they're fully recalled or, or they're, I think they were even bricked. Not around. Didn't, uh, Jaime was saying that, um, they bricked them over the air or something like that. I don't know. I, something I, like I haven't that. heard yeah. about that. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's been like everybody knows, huh. and maybe Samsung was lobbying them to say, "Can you guys please stop saying that Samsung <laughs> phones are banned? Please making all these announcements." So maybe that was part of it too. Yeah, I think when I went down to uh, Tennessee for um, what was that thing called? I don't know, Nashville, Nashville, yeah, Nashville Dev Stock or something Devstock. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah some some like uh, the the lady at the at the kiosk announced that the iPhone Seven would not be allowed to be used on the on the plane because <laughs> she she mixed up the names. Mm. <laughs> and we we speculated that that Samsung was calling it the Seven just to mess with Apple at that point. You know, so. well they got to keep number parity, so that makes sense. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm mm. getting my iPhone Seven this weekend because my iPhone Six. Actually, all of my Apple products decided to die on me over the weekend, or at least experience some sort of crazy issue. On the plus side, now I get to go get an iPhone Seven and feel slightly less guilty about spending the twenty bucks a month for it. So, does it still make uh, sense monetarily to get a, a phone on a plan? I think up here in Canada, we went, we've gone down from the three-year contract to the two-year contract. And when you do the math, what they want for the phone to to upgrade versus what you pay for per month, it, it almost makes sense just to buy an unlocked phone from Apple directly. Does that sort of calculus still work in the states? Not so much. It, it, it I think it does make more sense to just buy the phone outright these days because they yeah, the, the carriers are not as far as i know the, and at least the one i use is not subsidizing anymore uh oh really yeah yeah so it used to be for 200 bucks you would just get the phone and you just have to pay for your plan for a year uh now it's not like that anymore now you have to do the monthly 
payment or, or buy it outright. So, and if you do the mm-hmm. math, yeah, it does make sense to just buy it outright instead of doing the monthly payment. But I think most people do the monthly payment for the convenience and the, and, um, you know, the, the, the lack of just a one-time big fee, you know, it's harder, harder for a lot of yeah. people to justify spending five, 600 bucks in one shot just to, sure. just to get it as opposed to paying 30 bucks a month or whatever, or 40, whatever it is. Hey, but you can upgrade after a year though with, well, that's true. That, 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 that is true. That is true. You can upgrade. Yeah. And that's the only reason I'm opting to do it that way because it does seem like every year I need a new phone and I tend to steal the upgrade redemptions from other lines in our in our account mm. yeah so this kind of prevents that and then i'm not spending you know six hundred dollars every year on a phone right, it, right used, yeah. it used to be that with the subsidized plans it, it was a two-year plan officially but at least with at&t after a year they would always give you the the option to upgrade for another 200 bucks uh as long as you signed up for a new two-year contract so, so it wasn't. It was still a, a once a year thing if you wanted to, to do that. But you guys in in the states, I, I can't take advantage of it being a Canadian. But you guys can take advantage of that Apple program where you can you pay so much per month. Yeah, but Apple it's the phone. same. But it's the same. Same cost. Works out the same same dollars. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Generally speaking, anytime you go on a monthly payment for anything, it's usually more money than if you just pay for it outright. Right. Craig, you had a topic here that was uh, similar in in scope, I guess, about Apple on track to reach a certain sales volume. One trillion dollars, yes. There's a post from um, Horace Dedu at asimco.com, and the post is called, The First Trillion Dollars is Always the Hardest. So true. I'm sure we can all relate to that. (laughs) And I believe the stat is, in its first 10 years, he says the iPhone will have sold over a billion, 1.2 billion units. So it's the most successful product of all time. But if you add up the cumulative revenue of all that, then it's Apple's on track to have earned in revenue a trillion dollars sometime, I believe, in the middle of this year. He thinks they're going to cross that point, which is just amazing. A trillion dollars from this a lot of money over that long yeah. of time. There's also some follow-up charts about how much Apple has paid out to developers. At most WWDCs, they love going on stage and saying, you know, there's a big picture of a big check and it's like developers, $1 billion or whatever it is. And so I believe the number is the cumulative revenue that uh, developers have earned on the platform is exceeding $500 billion now, and it's going to reach $300 billion per year. So that's up until now, I believe what this is saying is $500 billion has been paid out, but the rate that, and that's sort of cumulative up until now, but then the rate is going to be $300 billion a year, which is amazing. That means like in another, in two years, the amount paid out in the next two years, let's say, will exceed the amount that's been paid out up until now. So the rate there is just going up as well. So money for everybody, it seems. Yeah, and I was reading, I think it was one of the articles that we posted on the show earlier that um, talked about uh, Apple is really pleased that they're now making you know, decent money from services, which is something we speculated about six months ago, I think, when we first started sort of seeing more of these services come along, like the iCloud storage upgrades and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good that Apple's, you know, you know, protecting themselves for when the iPhone collapse happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, according to this article, it's saying that services have totaled more than 100, 100 billion to date. So 10%, wow. roughly, almost 10% of the, the trillion dollars for iOS has been services. 
Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, but that's good news. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think the number that I I was just thinking about is if the hardware sales, that's the iPhone hardware sales, have hit or are going to hit a trillion dollars, and there's been 500 billion, which is half of that, paid out to developers. Then does that suggest that? Everybody who buys a phone for N dollars is going to spend N divided by two, half of that cost buying apps over the their lifetime the lifetime iOS. Is that what that means? Sorry, say, say it again. Mm. If iPhone again. total cumulative iPhone revenue, let's say, is a trillion dollars, and the okay. revenue paid out to developers math is five hundred billion, which is half of a mm-hmm. trillion, then that means that on average, people spend N dollars on the hard- hardware, and they're spending N divided by 2 on software. Is that what that means? Well, it sounds that way. Yeah, um, yeah it sounds that way. That's, Which that's, seems amazing to me. I would I would not have thought people spend I, I would not either. That, that seems hardware. pretty high. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. This can't be right. But that's what hey. the numbers are suggesting here. Yeah. So that's basically saying that, that if, on say, on average, a person spends $500 on a phone... Mm-hmm. Every two years, let's say, and this is probably a low estimate because people buy more than one, or people buy iPads and whatever. But but say they just buy five hundred dollars uh, every two years, so that's two hundred fifty dollars per year. Uh, half of that is one hundred twenty-five dollars on apps. That's actually not that surprising. You think so? I mean, it's a little seems, bit high. high. It's a little bit high. That seems yeah, high. but but some people probably spend a lot more. Uh, we're talking. We're also talking yeah. about in-app purchases. And, yes. Yes. And all right. That. Yeah. So, storage. Yeah. 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 Now, so I mean, I could I could totally see that because I you know I used to do the math on when people were were wanted to buy a computer and you would sort of give them the sort of I would always imagine that people would spend as at least as much money on a on a Mac uh, sorry on the software for their Mac as they do on the Mac like especially if you were in publishing and things like that and you're dealing with mm-hmm. Adobe softwares yeah. and stuff like that you know. Um, well, it used to be that way. I don't think it's like that anymore. Yeah, it may it may be a little little thinner that argument, but but right. you know, you're it used not to be you'd, buy... you'd, you'd buy a copy of Photoshop for you know a few hundred dollars, right? Now eight hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars. Okay, uh, now you just buy the Creative Cloud uh, subscription, right? For for twenty dollars a month. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Is that it? How yep. much is the like the Super Master Collection? Forty dollars, forty or fifty dollars a month. It depends Still on if you're bad. talking Canadian or U.S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it is, yeah. I guess. But my concern about that whole thing, and this is a bit of a segue, is that what happens when you decide, okay, I don't want to pay for this anymore? Does all your software stop working? Yeah, that's always the question. Yep. Yep. You know, or... Speaking of that, if we can make a quick tangent to that, um, what was that thing where you pay $10 a month to get that bundle of apps, Tim? Right. Oh, hey, speaking of setup... um, Have you been using this thing, Tim? Are you in the beta? I'm in the beta, yeah. I've, okay. I've I've tried to use it a couple of times. A couple of uh, one or two apps that I used, um, I wasn't quite sure how I would use it. I was trying to use screens uh, when I was away because I left my Mac here and I took my wife's Mac to the Azores. And I just thought, you know, mm-hmm. hey, maybe it would be cool if I could have it uh, use screens. But I couldn't figure out how to get. I couldn't get set app on the second Mac. It was you know probably because I'd installed it in too many places or something like that. But uh, I wasn't okay. sure how that screens app works. Like you know, because I know it publishes your your Mac to a, a server somewhere and you log into it's kind of like that let me in software. I don't know if you remember that from the Windows days or whatever. Or if you ever used that before? No, maybe not. Nope. Yeah, it was one of the things we used to put on servers and things like that. It was called Wait, you mean let log me, me in? in? 
Log me in. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Let me in is the most popular uh, bad password on servers, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the most popular? Don't use most. that. Well, yeah. It's Probably password, password is, is the worst. Password with a zero instead of the O. Or A, B, C, E, one, two, three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Or one, two, three, yeah. four, five, six. I yeah, it's, you'd be amazed what I see people use for passwords. But uh, anyway, this this app was a, a web service that would let you log in, and you, so you could you know log into a, a client's computer and see what was going on with it, what ails it, right? Um, anyway, so so that's what I wanted to use. And there's been is they've been sending out new. Uh, you get a notification every couple of days when a new app comes along, and and uh, you know you click on it and you get to see what the what the skinny on that particular app is. So nice. I haven't really been too. Uh, religious about trying out these apps in fact some of the apps that i have here that are available to me here i already i already owned from before so lacona was the app that just came out yesterday now that i'm looking at it it says it's a blazingly fast blissfully simple incredible powerful keyboard driven commands for your mac so basically i guess it's like quick keys kind of thing used to be for setting up uh, different things but it's super simple if you want to just start using an app you just click on it find you know find it read the descriptions like a little mini app store and then uh, off you go if you're using the app. So, hmm. and and as we suspected, they're mostly, I guess, sort of Mac utilities. Um, but they're very decent software. It's not. It I haven't found anything that's really sort of feels chintzy, you know. So, Rapid Weaver's in there, for instance, and that's a, a well-known piece of software. And Ulysses is a writing tool, I believe, right? I use that. Yeah. Um, Clean my Mac. Yeah, Clean my Mac is in there. You use that one, do you? Ulysses. Yeah, I use it. You know, there's probably, I'm looking at, I've just got the window open right now, probably, what did you revise, 6, 7, 8, 10, 40 or 50 apps in here. So, it's growing. Hmm. Oh, that's the sidebar. Um, it was the tangent, I called it, yes. Yeah, sidebar tangent. We, so, I hear Chris Latter is leaving and going to Tesla. Yeah. Which is interesting. A little so secret talking about post cars. on the mailing list, and then it was like, oh yeah, I'm leaving Apple, and then I think the whole... Apple nerd internet exploded after that. So yeah, leaving Apple, becoming the vice president of autopilot software at Tesla. Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting move, I think. I guess, I don't know, you work on something for that long and you say, I want to do something completely different. And then it's like, all right, this is pretty different. I saw some other speculation that like, why didn't he just switch to work on the Apple car? If he's so into cars, why doesn't he work on the Apple car? And it's like, well... Maybe there is no more Apple Car or something like that. So mm. I don't know. It seems like a very different role. I think he's. I mean, he's been. He was like a PhD in computer science, and he'd been working on LLVM for like a really long time. So I can see after ten years, you just saying I want to do something completely different. But on the other hand, I think amongst academics, it's pretty common to say like, no, I'm going to do compiler research for the rest of my life, or I'm going to do research in X for the rest of my life. I don't know, Mark. You would probably know more about that. Do people? tend to change around a lot yeah, once they've kind of focused well, for such it, a long time? It's true in the academic world, they tend not to. Uh, but in the in industry, yeah, people do uh, a lot. You know, it's it, it's exactly what you said. You've been at one place for a long time. Mm-hmm. You kind of sometimes get the feeling that you've done as much as you can, as, you, as you're ever going to do or want to do in that mm-hmm. one place and just want to change the scenery and do something else. Uh, and this sounds, you know, like a probably good career move for him. He you know, got a good title out of it, uh, okay. and just a chance to, you know, I'm, I'm sure from a from a um, financial point of view, he's, you know, he could do whatever he wanted to after that stint at Apple. So, you know, maybe just something wants to do something interesting and 
and that seems fun. Yeah, and I think that uh, I mean, there's a couple of angles to this. One is that you know, self-driving cars or something that's that's uh, obviously very close to being on the horizon. And um, uh, somebody said the other day that that they they felt that Elon Musk was um, sort of the the Steve Jobs of of Tesla, if you will. But I think he's more the Elon Musk of Elon Musk. You know. Um, He's a forward sure. thinker, and maybe 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 getting to work with someone like that is is uh, another another um, advantage of going over to this this uh, new gig, right? Yeah. Um, and and it sounds like he's a language nerd, right? Um, so this maybe maybe he can take what he's learned. We were all joking about the fact that you know we're going to have optionals in you know your speedometer and stuff like that, but um, <laughs> you know that you won't be able to drive until it finishes compiling that kind of thing. Yeah. But um, you know it's. Uh, it gives him. A, he's already had a had a go at writing a new language from the ground up, and maybe maybe that's something that he's going to do in a different direction. But with you know with the car software, um, won't necessarily be Swift per se, but could be something uh, similar or you know using all of his mental resources to do something new and exciting. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a really. I think it's a really big change from saying I'm going to work on writing a language and developer tools, and then moving over to seemingly like a. Like a pro, like a consumer product, saying autopilot software for cars. I mean, I guess that's still kind of under the hood, so to speak, software. But it's like yeah, moving to a, moving to a product. It's a it's a pretty big change, I think. Yeah, but but it, I, I think it's going to be very much a research role. It sounds like uh, mm. because there's there's a lot of machine learning. You know, I know I've been talking machine learning, but there's a lot of that involved in autopilot. There's a lot of pretty thorny, difficult technical problems that need to be solved there before it actually gets put into. Uh, you know the the actual code that ships with the Tesla. Uh, so so I, I suspect he's going to be working a lot on on that stuff as opposed to just you know writing day to day code. Uh, and and the problems are are pretty challenging. And the, you know there's some of the there's some of the I think if you ask anyone, some, those are some of the top problems that are out there right now that that need to be solved. So it's yeah it's a big move, but I, I don't I don't see it as as uh, that shocking of a move. I I think it's. Um, you know, I, I I think it's probably mostly wanting to do something interesting, and mm-hmm. and this is a pretty interesting thing. So for those of us left behind here, writing Swift and reading proposals on the Swift Evolution mailing <laughs> list, and a lot of people are like, oh, what does this mean for the future of Swift? But you know, the language and the team and all of that. I mean, it's not just one person running it. There's a whole team yeah, at Apple. Yeah. There's a whole community, and he, um, Chris Latner had a follow up post saying. You know, he actually hasn't been doing that much hands-on work for the last little while. Mm-hmm. And it's been the other folks on the team at Apple looking after it. So he's like, you know, and yeah, I, I was never worried like, oh my God, Swift is going to die now or anything like that. So, <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of smart people throughout the community and at Apple. And I was talking with some other colleagues. And I think this is actually a good time because we're almost right at the halfway point between WWDCs, right? We're right in January. So if you look at the traffic on like Swift Evolution, I think... Swift 3 and worrying about the point releases has kind of started winding down. And then there's more talk now about, all right, what are we going to, what goals are we going to hit for Swift 4? And I think the conversation has started to turn in that direction. So I, I think it's actually a good time uh, right now to say we're at the halfway point, this kind of tipping point to say, all right, now Swift 4 work is going to start ramping up. So. Yeah, it's a pretty quiet time, yeah. yeah. But I was going to bring it back to your earlier point there, Greg, about changing careers when you're inside a corporation. You work at a relatively mega-sized corporation now. Is that not correct? Sure. Like, 
how do you find how do you find like and then we all know that apple's or you know apple is apparently very a uh, siloed uh, organization so maybe there isn't an opportunity to sort of make a lateral move from one part of the company to the other i know it is the case where i work because um even though i may have expertise in a particular area someone else may be running that project yeah and, and i wouldn't necessarily go over there right so yeah, that's a good point like maybe they had asked told them like or maybe he had said, I really want to transfer over to, you know, work on the mail app or something like that. And they said, no, like you have to stay where you are. So that's a good point. Maybe there wasn't the opportunity to move around or to work on the Apple car. Or if he said, I want to take over for Johnny Ive yeah, and do hardware right. design or whatever. So maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe there wasn't that kind of mobility at a place like Apple. I don't know. That's all speculation. I will say at Facebook, it's like, yeah, you can definitely move around to teams, move around teams. It's, I would say, maybe encouraged if, if nothing else, because they want um, to kind of... Yeah cross-pollinate ideas and that kind of cross-training yeah yeah yep. exactly so oh uh, i don't know maybe there was another yeah. opportunity maybe there was but he just said no i want to go completely somewhere different so yeah who knows? i, I kind of doubt that it, it was that situation I, I think it's much more likely that you don't think he wants Tesla to work on the mail app him. mark no, no probably not <laughs> <laughs> you never know you never know uh I, I think it's highly much more likely that tesla approached him and gave him yeah, oh yeah, essentially sure, yeah. gave him an offer he couldn't re- refuse sure, uh, yeah. to come over and do that and and probably Apple made him a nice very nice counter offer but but he just decided you know I want to this is what I want to do this is this is what is interesting to me right now so mm-hmm. I'm going to go do it yeah well I'll keep checking my email yep <laughs> <laughs> Well, they well, need someone so, to run Swift now, Greg. Maybe you could uh, hop over. Yeah, I know. All I get is uh, emails from Google, and uh, someone from Uber keeps emailing me. So uh, I guess I could work on self-driving cars in <laughs> Uber, but no one's offering me a VP position yet. Yeah. So speaking of getting noticed, though, Greg, I noticed that you've you're in the Business Insider article on Chris Latner. <laughs> you were you were quoted. Yeah, I was quoted. My tweet was quoted in there. I thought it was just a search, and that would slowly fall off. But no, they seem to have curated the word of the year. Or last year, they curated the uh, list of tweets. So yes, my tweet about Chris Latner leaving Apple is one of the three chosen. So there's my 15 minutes, maybe, on Business Insider itself. Mm-hmm. Print that out, show it to my mom or yeah, something. Right. <laughs> yeah, then you have to explain to her what it means, right? That's true. Way too much <laughs> yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, and, and the last piece here about the touch bar designer going to... Right, yeah. I just saw this today, just as a quick follow-up. But there's another uh, Matt Casebolt, I believe. He's a high-profile senior director of design on Apple's Mac lineup. Apparently worked on the touch bar and the trash can Mac Pro. And he left the company last month uh, for a role at Surprise Tesla as the director of engineering closures and mechanisms i would love to be the director of engineering for closures that sounds pretty awesome so um <laughs> yeah he was at tesla last he left last last month and chris latner is joining and that also brings to mind that snarky tweet article quote whatever it was from elon musk saying that people who don't make it at tesla leave and go to apple and now it's kind of funny that there are these relatively high profile folks from apple going to tesla so interesting times so to, I guess, what Mark and Tim, I guess what both of you were saying was that maybe there's just exciting stuff going on at Tesla, and they seem to be I don't know, yeah. pushing the... And, and, yeah. You can you can imagine, like, five years ago, you can imagine Apple emailing people from, like, IBM, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up, uh, Microsoft or something, saying, hey, look at all this cool stuff, you should come over, and people doing that, and you can imagine that. But today, it seems <laughs> like Apple is on the other end now, losing 
folks to places like yeah. Tesla. Well, five years ago, they couldn't do that uh, because they had that, uh, right, that secret yeah. deal with, with, <laughs> with uh, Google and Facebook that everybody got in big trouble about. So now they can. So, uh, But, uh, you know, these here in the Valley, people move around a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. People don't tend to stay That's at true. one company for their entire career. Yeah. And when you figure, you know, these these are you know, five to ten thousand or even bigger people companies, you know, having one or two people out of ten thousand leaving, not you know, it's yeah. it's, it's not yeah. uh, statistically significant. These at are all. pretty high profile. Like I'm sure there have been fair enough. I'm sure yeah. there were like a hundred yeah. or ex Apple employees at Tesla, right? Like that wouldn't be a surprise. A thousand maybe, who right. knows? But right. you know, right. high profile folks. That's all. Can yeah, I can yeah. I play the bad guy here for just a second? Sure. One of the things that came to my mind when I heard that he was leaving was that you know here, here's Tesla they're they're an innovator right now they are doing some really incredible things and again this is going to sound really terrible but then there's Apple and to be honest with you they really haven't been very innovative yeah that I hear the camera on the iPhone seven is absolutely gorgeous and I can't wait to try it. But it's still just the camera. They're not doing anything new. Yeah, that's that's a possibility as well. Yeah. That does seem to be the kind of story that you're hearing lately. I don't know. There's still the, oh, Steve Jobs isn't here anymore, and people still talk about that. But um, no, I can definitely see that. I mean, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of stories about various folks leaving Apple, and it does seem like you hear that more than you used to. But, um, you know. I think as, as I feel like Mark would say, you know, everything is a, everything is in cycles, right? Apple goes up, Apple goes right. down. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Right. go up again. And yeah, it does feel a little like they're on the down. Like, is it a downward slope? Have they reached like a curve at the bottom? I don't know, but it does feel like. Yeah, no, I don't the, think it's, I don't think it's that intense. Like, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't misunderstand what I'm not saying. Like for me, Apple, <laughs> you know, I'm still an Apple fan girl. I, you know, I granted everything that I had. Apple decided to crap out on me this weekend, but like uh, Justin said, I might've gone through six or eight iPhones, but I'll still not go back to Android. You know, I, I mm-hmm. like my Apple products. They may not be as innovative as I thought they were at one time. They may not be as stable as they have been in the past. It is, uh, you know, that things come in cycles and seasons and waves. And I just kind of think they're they're going to climb back up again. But I think maybe some of these high-profile people are just kind of bored. You know, mm. they want to do new things. They've been there for so long. Yeah, granted, Apple came out with Swift, and we were all like, whoa, that's really cool. But What's cooler than a self-driving car? Going to Mars. I don't know. True. Compilers are pretty <laughs> exciting. So there's a hint about my pick. <laughs> um, yeah. Greg, you, see, you sounded pretty excited about the mail tool as well. <laughs> I just switched back to using the Apple uh, mail.app on the phone. That's why That's mm. why it comes to mind. Ah. You right. know, speaking of the mail app, I can't get my uh, junk filter to turn off. I turned it on at one point. And then I went to turn it off, and even though I've turned it on and off and on and off a million times, the stupid thing won't go off. I'm st- it's still funneling mail into my junk mail, and I'm losing mail. Hmm. I wonder if that really? setting is synced somewhere. That wouldn't surprise me if that's a synced setting. Have you? Is this your iCloud account or like your own account, like a Gmail or something? This is. It was an iCloud account. Yeah. I would go to iCloud.com and use the web interface and switch it off from there because that would mean that. And that's what I'm talking everything. about. It never you know used I mean? to be like that. I know. And I saw never. there was a story somewhere about like, oh, this setting keeps changing. And that, that oh, no, it was that thing about um, people getting spam calendar invites. And the solution was to go to oh, iCloud.com right, right. and do it. 
Um, I, I, I heard mm-hmm. another story yeah. about something similar. Something was kept syncing and it kept flipping a switch. And that was a solution to do it from iCloud.com. Mm. So give it a try. Thanks. <laughs> Problem. can always try trashing your playlist too and see if that fixes it. I want to shoot my computer. I'm going to try that next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels better, but it's not as <laughs> satisfying as doing your playlist. Um, is anybody here using iCloud for storage? Is a question that came up for me this weekend. I I just had to upgrade yes, to the two ninety nine yeah. plan. I mean yeah. the paid the paid version, right? Like um, yeah, I had to upgrade my storage. Somebody me from from the free to no. I was on the fifty whatever. gig. I was on the ninety nine cent fifty. Gig. Yeah, I have that one as well. And yep. I just hit the limit, so I'm on the two ninety nine mm-hmm. a month for two hundred gigs. I had to upgrade. So I'm on that now. So. So what are you able to store there? I mean, like, I, I know I'm using more and more applications that are using iCloud for storage that I see, you know, and now that we have the iCloud drive and access to being able to see what's on there. Yeah. Um, are you storing backups on there? Are you storing music and photos on there as well? For, like, yeah, for me, it's it's mostly backups and photos. Yeah? Yeah, I don't put my music on iCloud. Right. Well, I, I meant yeah. like I, I'm actually I'm actually concerned about our photos because Carol was one of the first people to have a, a digital camera, and so we have photos going back 15 years, I think. Right. Um, and I'm you know I've gotten burned a disc, and I you know have the offsite backup, and and since I've been wrestling with this uh, this upgrade or trying to upgrade the drive on my my MacBook Air. Um, somebody mentioned to me how inexpensive it seemed to be that you could get storage from Apple. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's not the cheapest solution out there, but I'm just thinking from the point of view of um, like the seamless integration that you kind of get with Apple, like, you know, cause it's iCloud and it's going to be happy with photos and that kind of stuff as opposed to trying to go to Google or something else. Right. Yeah. 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 iCloud photos works very well for me. Uh, I would of course caution that it shouldn't be your only backup solution. Right, uh, right. I would also back everything up to disk you know, locally, and you know, and keep it somewhere other than your house if you really are are uh, paranoid, um, <laughs> because you never you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it works very well for me. It, it works great. I would yeah. say I've gone all in yeah. all in on the photos app as well, and that's what was taking up more and more storage because I do take a lot of the photos mm-hmm. as well. That yeah, and yeah. iCloud backups for the devices they were just getting large as well, and so I figured yeah. Yep. And then, yeah, now I just store random files in the iCloud drive as well because uh, it's a little bit smarter. It used to sync the entire drive, and now it's like it will only sync it over when you open the file, that kind of thing. So it doesn't, there's not too much network traffic, but I can still, it'll just, it's just like like Dropbox. It's just some more one more place for me to put stuff. So I am starting to use it more and more since I'm paying for it. Well, yeah, yeah I was talking to Tammy about this last week, sometime this week, and is is that my problem with Dropbox is that if I have a terabyte of space on Dropbox and I put a terabyte of files on there, I need to have a terabyte of space on my drive. That's not true. You don't have to sync right? your Whereas, entire Dropbox, though. Yeah, but then you have to go through and manage that whole don't sync this folder, don't sync that folder. And, you do, yeah. and I have my Dropbox on five different accounts, right? Whereas five different machines, I mean. But um, if I understand iCloud is a bit different and similar to Google Drive in that the, the actual storage is actually in space, not on my on my computer, until I need it, is that correct? It's trying to be, iCloud Drive tries to be smart. So if I add a giant file on computer A and I go to computer B, that file won't be there in iCloud. It won't be on my local drive. It'll show up on iCloud Drive, but it'll be kind of, not grayed out, but it's there's like an icon next to it saying it's not actually there. Like right. Maybe they put like a cloud overlay on the file icon. And once you double click mm-hmm. it or something, then it'll be like, okay, I'll download this for you. So it tries to be smart. Right, but right. in true Apple yeah. fashion, it tries to do it behind the scenes 
for you where I like in Dropbox where I can say, no, this folder is a yes, this folder is a no. I kind of like that. Whereas iCloud Drive is right, a bit of right. a, again, in true Apple fashion, it's a bit of a mist. They don't want you to think about it. They just say the files are here. Automatic, yeah, you yeah, go yeah. and yeah. click on the ones you want and then we will download them if you need to. So uh, pluses and minuses. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like I said, it's uh, I I did have the the one terabyte plan from Dropbox, but I found that I was constantly having to, I was still running out of space, basically, right? Um, and then a, the iCloud thing sounded inter- interesting to me, especially since I've because of the number of photos we had, I've had, I've gone in an archive previous years, and then of course we they changed the iPhoto library format, mm-hmm. you know, sometime last year, so that's kind of scary too, right? I have boxes of full of floppy disks and CD drives and, you know, hard drives that I can't read anymore because we're no longer on the same system we were on before, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's always fun. It worries me a little bit staying tied to Apple like that, but I'm, I'm going to give it a try. We'll see. How, well, I also dropped down sure. to the free plan on Dropbox, so I'm not paying Dropbox anymore, but I still yeah, have me whatever, too. 20 gigs or 15 gigs or something like that, so, yeah. Yeah, I just recently moved everything over to Google Drive. You want I mean, Google I still Drive. have Dropbox. Okay. Yeah, I I use Google Drive now almost all the time. So do you have the Finder integration where there's a Google Drive in your home and that syncs over? I do. Do you do it like that? I do. I have it. I have it like that on the primary laptop that I work on just because, you know, it's just a whole lot easier. But on my desktop, which I don't work on too, too much, I do not have the integration on there. Interesting. Yeah. And I like it because, you know, I, I used to always use... Word, of course, and then pages, and now everything, and then Markdown. But now everything I'm doing, I'm doing using Google Docs. I still write in Markdown, but mm. um, I just like it, and I like the fact that you know I'm, I'm doing some collaboration with some people now, and that's all we're using is Google Drive, and we're able to collaborate real time. You know, if I make a change to a document, they can see it right away. I mean, like yeah. right away. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I mentioned before, I also use the Amazon Cloud Drive. That's more for like long-term backups because it's whatever, $60 a month or a year and it's unlimited. So I just put absolutely everything there. And they have updated the Mac Amazon Drive app. So it is like Dropbox, like Google Drive, like everybody else. There's like, it puts an Amazon Drive folder in your home directory and it'll sync it over. So everyone seems to be moving into that space, although that's not how I've always used it. So I feel like, no, no, I don't want a folder. Just, you know, let me upload stuff using the app and you just store it for me forever. So um, lots of options yeah, out you there. Just, you want something like Time Machine only to Amazon, right? Exactly, because that's what I do. Like that. yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I'm already paying for it, so maybe it's like maybe I should start using the syncing and see how see how it works with them. So maybe I'll give it a try because it is unlimited, so... I should probably mm-hmm. I should probably try it and report back. But so, how much is the Amazon plan? Uh, they have two. Last I remember, they have like a photos only. Like I guess you can only store JPEGs for like twenty dollars a year, and then they have an unlimited store anything for sixty dollars. I may be making. I should. I'll look it up, and uh, you can <laughs> you can uh, talk about it afterwards. <laughs> I can think of a lot of things I'd want to put on that drive for unlimited. Yeah. Yes. Prime. So you guys are using these services as backup services. Yeah, uh, Prime Photos is what they call it. Unlimited storage for photos, five gigabytes for other stuff. And that's included with Amazon Prime, it says. I don't know how much it costs otherwise. And the unlimited storage, you put anything in there, is $60 a year. That's US dollars. And that's the one that I pay for. Yeah, you're you're kind of trusting them. Maybe I'm a little bit old school, but I, but I still think if, <laughs> if you really want to be sure that 
you're always going to have access to that stuff. It's best to keep it local. And who knows what's going to happen. I mean, Amazon, okay, the chances of Amazon going down and losing all your data are, are probably pretty slim at this point, but I don't know. Yeah, you know what I put on there was when I was doing video tutorials and I had the raw movie files, and I was like, mm-hmm. I guess I could put them on an external drive and keep them, but I'm like, I'm just going to upload them to Amazon and leave them there. Because if Amazon does go out of business, yeah. it's like, it's fine, but I just wanted to keep yeah. them. So I should, I should probably, I could go and delete them, but so I'm looking right now mm-hmm. and I have 100 gigs of files and I have 227 gigs of videos, it says. And those videos wow. are all of my video tutorials. So two, almost 230 gigs is what I have on there. And, you know, yeah. for 60 bucks a year, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if one gets lost, it's not the end of the world, right? If, if something happens, one gets corrupted or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I probably should just go and delete them because um, I don't mm-hmm. need them anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's, yeah. that's what I was using it for, kind of long-term storage. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Can you can you sing, uh, serve a link from the Amazon Drive? Like, can you share that with somebody else or? Uh, possibly. They do have a web interface, and um, I think you can do. It. I again, it's long term storage for me. I've never never had to do that before. If I wanted to share it with somebody, I would yeah. use Dropbox. But um, mm. I mean, the web interface looks kind of Dropbox ish, so I'm sure there's a share option somewhere. Yeah. Well, I recently just signed up for Amazon Prime myself, having drunk Jaime's Kool-Aid for the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, I going to say having been drunk. <laughs> what do you think was in the Kool-Aid? Well, no, I got, I got a new TV, and the TV has the TV has the Amazon app on it, so I figured, well, I might as well go on. And actually, my grandson wanted to see that uh, show with the guys from Top Gear, um, The Great Driver, whatever it's called. So, yeah, but unfortunately, the, the selection of shows here in Canada, I guess, is not that great. I don't know what you guys – do you guys have Amazon Prime TV down there? Mm-hmm. I do. I really yep. should, yeah. yeah. How, how do you find the selection of – compared to, like, say, Net, Netflix or, or the Hulu? Completely honest, completely honest I, I don't actually use it all that much because there's so many options on Netflix and on my, my – I have Comcast and there's you know, tons of stuff there on demand or whatever. So, so Amazon is kind of the last place I, I go for that kind of stuff. Although they do have some good things like they have the man in the high castle series, uh, mm-hmm. which I haven't watched season two of that yet. So no spoilers, but uh, season one was really good. So every once in a while they do have something good when I watched that. Yeah. I saw that on there. What, what is that high castle show? What about what's it? A, what's the, what's the TLDR there? Oh, so it's, it's based on a, a classic uh, book by Philip K. Dick, the same guy who wrote oh, the, really? the hmm, book behind yeah. Blade Runner and all that. And uh, it's the the basic story is that uh, the U.S. lost World War II, so it the U.S. has been split between uh, uh, Imperial Japan on the west coast and Nazi Germany on the east coast. And uh, it's uh, I don't want to go too much more into it than that because it'll, it'll be spoilers. But but it's really good. I mean, the book is fantastic, and they did a really nice job. With the with the TV version of it as well. Hmm. Well, speaking of Blade Runner, I got to show that to a couple of thirteen year olds and a fourteen year old or fifteen year old, I guess, uh, this weekend, and um, I couldn't find my disc, so I bought it on iTunes, and it's amazing how well that movie holds up after all these years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, one more shout out for Amazon. They just introduced uh, Prime Reading, so if you have Amazon Prime, then you can sort of check out, I think, up to ten books. At a time, mm-hmm. oh really? And huh. um, so yeah, that's one more thing. So I've been I've been taking load them up on that. your Kobo or your Kindle. Kindle, I guess it is Kindle, right? Tim. No, no way they support the Kobo. Yeah. Come on. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I have the Kindle app, so. Yeah. Alrighty, so do we have any picks, Greg? I have a Anybody? pick, sure. Well, I, I don't really have a pick, but I I will just mention the, we, I think we talked about it on the show, so it's kind of follow-up pick, if you will. Um, there was a USB-C hub on Kickstarter f- that we talked about. Um, this week it was on sale for, I believe, $69 was your pledge amount, and um, uh, I went ahead and, and made my pledge for that. But by the time, unfortunately, this podcast airs, the $69 deal is over. That's 30% off the retail price. And it's already been funded? They've reached a goal. I, mean. I believe very close to yeah. I think it's I think it's reached the goal for sure. And uh, I think March is the ship date for that. So because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you heard Greg last week, we we ended up with six uh, new Mac Pros at work, and yep. we're struggling to figure out what to do with them. And we should have listened to you at the time when you said <laughs> buy all these dongles. Bags full of dongles. I had to drive to Mississauga to get two uh, USB three or Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two, which is USB C to the old style Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. Because uh, they're sold out across the city. Yep, I believe it. Well, I've got one here, Tim. I'll send it to you for you know fifty dollars or something. Well, no, I, it's funny. I was joking because I, I bought I bought two of them and I was going to put the second one on eBay for like a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, pick up in Toronto. Yeah, go ahead. What's your pick there? I, I'm I'm very interested in this. We were actually talking about this. Uh, your pick at the office the other day. All right. Well, one of my projects for the new year. 2017 is to learn more about compiler-related things. And so I've been looking at things like uh, Lex and Bison, or Flex, I should say, and Bison, which are kind of, um, it's a lexer and a parser, so you give it a grammar, and it generates code, and then you use the other thing to generate more code to basically write a compiler. How sort of classic compilers, I think a lot of compilers use those too. Anyway, or you can, you know, write your own parser and look for strings and things like that. So that's the lower-level parsing thing. But um, there's a tutorial on the LLVM website. LLVM is the, uh, I guess, the low-level virtual machine, although it's not really a virtual machine. Anyway, it's the middleware or the back end, you can say, to the Clang compiler that we all know and love. That's used in Xcode, that we all use for Objective-C, and that we now use for Swift. And so LLVM is like a compiler back end, which means that you can have different front ends. So there's a C front end, there's a C++ front end, there's Objective-C, and so on. And so... There's a tutorial on the site saying, let's implement another language. It's this made-up language called Kaleidoscope. And let's implement that on top of LLVM. So it's a 10-part tutorial on there on how to do it. So it's not quite... I mean, they do go through the lexer and parser and how to build an abstract syntax syntax tree and things like that that you would learn in a compiler course. But it's a tutorial. They take you step-by-step. So it's um, I'm working through it myself just to understand a little bit more. And uh, yeah, very well written and all of that. So if you're interested then you can at least just take a peek. It's in 10 parts again. So if you don't care about parsers, you can go right to, you know, how does control flow work, how the if statements work and that kind of thing. And um, if you're interested in like the linker, you can kind of jump ahead to the object code stuff. So yeah, tutorial on uh, languages, com- um, programming languages and LLVM. So that's again, my project for this year. So it's a really, a really good resource for it. Hmm. I thought you were talking about Kaleidoscope, the app for Diffing two files. <laughs> no, this is the made-up language. I'm sorry, Tim. Oh, that's too bad. There's another so, post. Greg, are, you, are you hinting? Are you hinting that uh, Instagram is now writing a, a language for manipulating your, your photos? <laughs> no, he's trying to get no, a job at Tesla. Come on. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going to follow Chris Latner over to uh, over to Tesla. Um, <laughs> there's actually a post by um, Jordan Rose. He's one of the compiler engineers who works on Swift. And somebody had asked him, like, "How do I get into? Co- I'm I'm interested in compilers. How do I get into compilers?" And so he wrote this post about 
called uh, So You Want to Be a Compiler Wizard, and he has some suggestions. And I believe <laughs> he also references... Um, yes, he also references the Kaleidoscope tutorials in there. But if you um, want to sort of how do I... Maybe the Kaleidoscope tutorials too advanced. How do I work my way up to that? So he has some of his own suggestions. I'll put a link to that in here as well if uh, anyone's interested. Hey, wasn't this the guy at Indie Dev Stock? That's Ben, yeah. Andy? What? No. Yeah, no. No, not there, yeah. but Ben Ben was at... Uh, I didn't... What? Let me hang on a second. Oh, different guy, different guy. Is it a different guy? It's a different guy. This, yeah, guy, different this guy, guy was not at Indie Dev Stock. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but Ben did a talk on, on compilers and how they work and stuff like oh, that. Oh, right. He, he, he built a... He made a little language in Swift. That's right, yes. That is not... A different guy, different guy. So close. Not really, but uh, okay. <laughs> Trying to get Tammy involved here. Yeah. Oh, I'm involved. I'm drawing pictures. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I well, we'll see you in the after show, I guess, focus. right? Yes, we know that. I saw that on Twitter. All right. So I guess that's it for the week, eh, guys? So, hey, Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They should look me up on any place, Instagram, Twitter. My username at both those places is Greg Heo, G-R-E-G-H-E-O. Right, or, or just go on Business Insider, right? <laughs> and search for my name, <laughs> and it'll be the That's first right. hit. Sure. And he'll be yeah. coming soon to Tesla. You're all over the place. <laughs> yeah. All right. And Sammy, if people want to find you on the interwebs. I'm not nearly as popular as Greg. You can find me on Twitter at Paradox927. And Ken, where can they hear you on the airwaves? Where can they hear me on the airwaves? Yeah. They can hear me and you on the airwaves at uh, roundaboutfm.com. All right. And Mark, if people want to find, get a hold of you and write you a cursive letter. It's a cursive letter. You can send me an email at markr at smatsoft.com. All right. And as I said before, I'm Tim Mitra and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. Twitter is the best place to find me. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. And thus ends another episode of More Than Just Code. This is friend of the show, Katie. And another friend, Jesse. We hope that you enjoy the show as much as we do, including the parts about code. And also the parts about more than code. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode, with links to the items talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please rate the review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. All of these things help others find out about the show, and we really appreciate your help with spreading the word. The show is also on Twitter and Facebook, the Twitter account being MTJC underscore podcast. You can also support the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. That's what we do. Thanks for listening with us. Let's either have the same amount of fun or more next time. Did you take a compiler's course back in the day or you did electrical engineering and you did not? So, yeah, I was more on the hardware side. So I, I never took a specific uh, compiler course, but I did take a course uh, that was called at the time, it was just called Structured Interpretation of Computer Programs. Oh, I know that. And it, 6001. You know the book because it's the 6001. Yeah. One of the very famous, famous book. 
hardcover computer books I own. I do have that one. Yeah, it's a great book, uh, but it's it's uh, kind of abstract, yep. uh, but it's a great book. Yep. One of the things in that book is you build something called a, if I'm getting the name right because it's been a few years, uh, the Metacircular Evaluator. I was just going to say which, Metacircular Evaluator, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what that is is this This book is uses the uh, 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 the scheme. What's the language? Um, scheme. Scheme, right. Scheme, which is a dialect of Lisp. Uh, and what, what, one of the things that you do in the, in the, as an exercise in the book is you build a Lisp or a scheme interpreter in scheme. So it, it reminded me of what you were saying about at, at the, the, you know, the compiler in, in Swift that you were just talking about at the mm-hmm. Indie DevStock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you actually write a, essentially a, not in this case a compiler, but an interpreter, uh, which takes Lisp input or scheme input and converts it into different Lisp and scheme and can run it. It's just an exercise, but it's kind of an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I'm a scheme and fan. You need to convert me. Yep. yep. I uh, I have to jump off. The kids are looking for me. I, I normally love to hang out for these things, but they've been banging at the door for the past half hour. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thank yeah, you yeah. so yeah. much for inviting me on the show. I enjoyed the conversation. Glad right. you can thanks, make it. Thanks, thanks for coming. Admit it. You just, you're just going off to go do some math, aren't you? Yep. Yeah. Lots and lots and lots <laughs> of math. Yep. Yes. All right. Yes. I have to count how many shots I can have before my body hits the ground. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, guys. Good night. Bye, Sarah. Yeah, Goodbye. Yeah, Mark, that's one of those books where it's like, I should read this like once a year because every time you read it, yeah. you get something a little different out of it. So um, I don't think I yeah, read it yeah, every yeah. year, but I think I've read it every like two years or something like that. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the few books I, I, went, I, I have. I probably went 20 years between reading it. And when I went back and read it after 20 years, I was amazed at how much relevant stuff was actually in there because hmm. I sort of remembered it as being this, you know, kind of early days book early days of computer science kind of book uh and and uh uh a lot of abstract stuff that kind of i assumed had changed over time and whatnot but but no i mean everything in there is is, is still relevant today it's an amazing book amazing book and sure. perfect timing yeah. my my ba- my battery on my and here's the thing about technology so to to do this with my headphones i have the new apple headphones where you have to put it into your um to your you know, charger connector. thing yeah. The charger thing. So my iPad is at seven percent. I was like, my God, this is gonna die in the middle of this. But if I had the old <laughs> iPhone set up or the old headphone set up, we wouldn't have had this problem. I could have charged right, it. Right. Are you using that's Apple cool. Music now or yeah, that's great. I ha- I have Apple Music, you know, I'm 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 talking to yeah, I mean yeah, I'm talking to Apple about working with them on something, but mm-hmm. I I don't I'm, the interface doesn't I don't love the interface, right? Right. The UI isn't isn't great for me. Um so I, you know, I like what we did on our Strombo show app. Simple, right? Yeah. And I, you know, when when we redo it, we'll do that again. But it's got to be simple. And the, the, it's just there's something about the way it's laid out in the font. I just it isn't vibing with me. The, the, the design part of my brain isn't vibing. Mm-hmm. Well, I meant, I meant the whole sort of you get every every song on the catalog for one monthly price. That's kind of like the Creative Cloud thing. What do you? Yeah. The the problem is I I spend so much time on planes, right, or on motorcycle road trips where there's no, there's right. no signal, so I can't take my music with me, and that's that's why I actually don't like it. I was going to say, Tammy, when I first met Georgie, I think you had four iPhones or four iPods you were I, dragging I, around? I still do. I still really? do. Really? I have a lot Are of Are they all loaded music. with music? Is that the deal? Yeah, yeah. I have, um, I have probably like three or four terabytes worth of music, and for mm-hmm. I want to hear it all the time, you know? 
Yeah, app. The, you know the iTunes app, right? Apple yeah. never designed the iTunes app with George in mind. Just, just a, no, they not a music. <laughs> they didn't. When they got rid of when they when they got rid of the uh, the iPod Classic, the 160 gig, I had some friends on the inside who sent me their last boxed versions of them because they know wow. that, what a real negative impact on my life this is going to be. That's going to have. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You're welcome, George. And if you ever talk to Dolly Parton again, tell her, like... Tammy says hi. Yeah. (laughs) Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.